I'll be reading for us this morning from Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Amen. Nice short passage today for, for our time in this wonderful facility. And uh, just again, thanks to the deacons for securing this for us. We appreciate it very much. So today we're going we're gonna to start a new series and we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians throughout the winter, probably into the springtime as well. It's a great book of the Bible, Ephesians. I heard that it was John Calvin's favorite epistle. Um, a lot of people love it. I don't know that anyone needs to have a favorite epistle, but I guess he had one. Uh, but it's a, it's a great, great letter from Paul to that ancient church in what's now modern-day Western Turkey, not far from the Mediterranean Sea. So we're going to take a look at the book of Ephesians. And, you know, the ability of an organism to adapt in order to sustain itself um, is an important thing in this world, right? Organisms that survive learn how to adapt in various circumstances, right? Right? And so a part of longevity and health uh, for any type of an organism or an organization involves adaptability, I think. I believe that an organization that adapts through change can actually stay healthy. Now, what establishes a healthy church? What establishes and maintains a healthy church through times of change? And I think that's a good question for us to ask on a day like today when we're nomads for a Sunday, right? I mean, if you think about it, we're nomads every Sunday. But on a day like today, it really feels like we're nomads again. I think that nothing is greater for the health of a church than grace itself. You heard Chrissy talking to the kids about grace. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you may say, oh, I know what grace is, good. Ask me if you know what grace is in 15 minutes when I'm done speaking. Because I always need to be reminded of what grace is. Nothing is greater than grace for the health of any church, especially our church. And that's not a cliche. Our series now in Ephesians is, I'm calling it, I'm calling it grace emerging. Emerging, how God builds a Christian community that emerges out of death into life, from doubt to hope, from divisions and conflicts to reconciliation, from fear to assurance, from worldliness to godliness, from darkness to light. These are themes we're going to see in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. God's grace emerges in a community. It comes into view. Grace comes into view through families, through friendships and relationships. Grace comes into view through communities and people groups and outward the entire world over. Today I want to talk about just really two simple things. The impact of grace 
and the legacy of grace. The grace of God, its impact and its legacy, whether we're talking about Ephesus 2,000 years ago or whether we're talking about Carroll County right now. The grace of God, its impact and its legacy, all right? Now, the impact of grace upon humanity is both personal and communal. We've talked about this before and you see it throughout the New Testament. God not only saves individuals, he saves us in the context of a community. God is working through families, he's working through communities and neighborhoods and cultures. It's never just an individual thing. It is also a corporate thing. And you see that in all of Paul's letters. There's no doubt that grace impacts you as an individual, of course. And we see that in the Apostle Paul himself. Grace starts with an individual. Look at verse 1. We opened up with Paul. There's the individual, Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul, who is a Pharisee of Pharisees, he saw the risen Jesus Christ and he was changed from a life of uh, self-righteousness to a life of God's righteousness, right? Paul, if you read about him in the book of Acts, was changed from a life of hopelessly earning God's approval to a life of receiving God's love as a gift. That really is what grace is. Receiving the favor of God as a, grit, as a gift, not by our lifestyle or our religion. And then as you read in the book of Acts, chapters 18 and 19 and 20, you will discover, and I encourage you to do that, you'll discover that Paul on his second missionary journey and his third missionary journey visited Ephesus. This would have been right in the middle of the first century, AD 50, 52, 53, around that time frame. At one point, Paul stayed in Ephesus for three years, helping Christianity to emerge there. So no doubt, Christianity starts with an individual, but it's so much more than that. It impacts families and neighborhoods and communities. You know, when Paul first stayed in Ephesus, we're told in Acts chapter 19, there were only 12 men that he was working with. Now that doesn't, in, that he, they're not, Luke wasn't counting the women and children, so obviously there were more. It may have felt something like what we see right here in this room, maybe less people. You know, for a Jewish synagogue, and Paul often went to the synagogues first when he brought Christianity to a new city. You know, a, for, for the Jews of any city in the Mediterranean world to have a synagogue, there needed to at least be 10 Jewish men present in that town. So this is barely enough men to have a Jewish synagogue itself. So Paul began working with a small number of people, 12 men. Obviously, there were women and children involved as well. But what we discover in the book of Acts is that he stayed there three years. He evangelized. He taught. He trained. He discipled. And by the time he left and then came back a third time, by the time they saw him for what would be the last time, they wept over him. Acts chapter 20. They had developed that type of a bond. And several years later, Paul wrote this letter to them. Probably around 60 AD, he was imprisoned in Rome. And uh, the, the, the author and preacher, John Stott, in his commentary on Ephesians said this, that the letter 
of Paul to the Ephesians sets forth God's eternal purpose to create through Jesus Christ a new society, which stands out in bright relief against the somber background of the old world. Grace emerging from individuals into a community and into the world. And God's grace in our lives as a church makes an impact that actually leaves a legacy, maybe in your family, maybe in your neighborhood, in your work relationships, and a legacy in the community. And that's my prayer for us. That as grace impacts us as a church, we in Jesus' name will leave a legacy, not only in Westminster where we are worshiping, but in all of Carroll County through us. God's grace makes an impact that leaves a legacy. You see that in Paul's own life, just in in his experience with the Ephesian church. The legacy of grace is this. I, I want to put it in this terms. The legacy of grace is a healthy church that is faithful to Jesus Christ. Right? It's not complicated. A legacy of grace is a faithful church, a church that is faithful to Jesus Christ. A faithful church is a healthy church. Now, Americans think success. That's how we think. We think about success. But a Christian must think faithfulness. We we really need to transform our minds by the power of God's spirit to think less about success and more about faithfulness as a church. Let your company think about success. Let your school district think about success. As a Christian, you think about faithfulness. That changes everything. That distinction changes everything. Because we have dual citizenship. What does Paul say in verse 1? He says they are in Ephesus, and he says they are in Christ Jesus. We are in Westminster, we are in Carroll County, and we are in Christ Jesus. And we can't forget the two. We can't lean into being in Christ and forgetting that we're in Carroll County in the 21st century, in the second decade, third decade, sorry. We can't forget that we're not only in Carroll County and in the United States and on the East Coast, we have to remember that while we are living here, we are in Christ, as most people are not. So we have a citizenship in both senses. Paul will later say in the letter, in Christ really means in the heavenly places. So if you're a Christian, you're a citizen in two ways. You're an American, you're a Marylander, but you're in Christ. And so we pray that as Jesus Christ emerges in us, not simply as individuals, but as a church, we pray that he will emerge in this area. So, I, you know, I... I have to remind myself to embrace the grace of God. Not like I'm being saved all over again. No, but to remember that I'm saved by grace. To never forget it. Maybe you don't even know that you are saved by grace. You may have to embrace it for the first time. But if you are saved by grace, praise the Lord and thank him and let's never forget. Embrace the grace of God and let's let it change us as our church, as Deep Run Church emerges out of a pandemic and into the community around us. Paul would go on to say in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. He could say this to them because they were a faithful church. From when they began, those 12 plus people, maybe half the size of what's in this room, or maybe the size of this room, years on, they were faithful as a church so that years later, Paul could write a letter and say to them, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And those themes of grace and peace will be a major emphasis as we read Paul's letter. The next several chapters, week after week, we're going to see grace and we're going to see peace accomplished for us in the heavenly places and worked out in our lives right here in Ephesus, in Westminster, in Hampstead, in Mount Airy, in Taylorsville, in Upper Cove, wherever you are, in Tawnytown. Grace and peace worked out for us in the heavenly places, made practical in our lives, in the community, as that grace emerges, as that peace emerges. Grace, in case you don't know, and this is the way I'm defining it, grace is God's unearned favor gifted to us, which saves us from our sins. But just so that you know how I'm defining it, peace is relational health. The old Hebrew shalom. Relational health that reconciles us to God and to one another. That's going to be key in the letter. So, a faithful Christian life is a legacy of grace. A faithful church is like an epistle to the community. A faithful Christian church that's dedicated to Jesus and his plan and his principles and his mission is like an epistle to Carroll County. If we are a faithful church, a faithful church to Jesus, our, the life of our church, it's like saying to, to Carroll County, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're living faithfully for Jesus, you're a living epistle. And as the community sees your life and as the community sees the life of this church and our activities, it's like they're hearing the words lived out, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what in our lives and what in this church has eclipsed the grace of God, has hidden it, obscures it, clouds it, makes it less palpable and unreal to us and to our friends and to our neighbors? The church, remember, is still functionally an organization It is, relationally speaking, an organism. Paul, in another letter, calls the church a body. But it's also an organization. It has to pay its bills. It has to set up chairs. It has to build a website and communicate in functional ways. And as an organization, as all organizations are, it will be tempted to promote its own mission and its own interests more so than grace. We will always be tempted as an organization to promote our interests, to promote our mission, even if it's a good one, more than we promote grace. Now look, we have a good vision statement to cultivate a community that seeks to discover, I know you can't see it, but you can, if you go to deeprunchurch.org, it's there. Our vision statement is to, commu- to cultivate a community that seeks to discover the depths of Christ's love, grow in his truth, 
and bring hope to Westminster and to our world. Now, I think the word, I think the elders have to work on this, but I think Westminster needs to change to something broader than Westminster. Nonetheless, that's what it officially is for the time being. But to cultivate a community that seeks to discover Christ's love, grow in his truth, and bring hope to our community and to our world. I think that's a great vision statement. And, you know, we also have plans, don't we? We have a growing array of ministries and projects and plans emerging, to use that word again. Right? Currently, we are searching for and praying for a space of our own. Right? Some more physical, locational permanency. Wouldn't that be great as we sit on these folding chairs today? To think of more locational permanency out of which we can minister to the community and serve one another. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And I think those are great plans to have. But whether good plans or a good vision statement, nothing should eclipse grace for a healthy, faithful church. Decades later, after Paul wrote to the Ephesians, decades later, the Apostle John received a revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that revelation were a couple of key messages to some of the churches in the Roman province of Asia. If Ephesus was the capital of Roman Asia, okay? But Jesus had a word for several churches in the province of Asia. And this is what he said to the church in Ephesus. Now, this is decades later, after Paul. He said to the Ephesians, this is Jesus now, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You see, it is not success that Jesus wants. It is faithfulness. My encouragement to us today is for every elder and every deacon and every man and every woman that leads a ministry team. So if you see yourself as a leader in some capacity or at least an influencer, because sometimes influencers have just as much uh, capital in a group as uh, official leaders do. If you are a leader in this church or an influencer, I want you to ask a question this week. Ask yourself this question. What might be some ways, what might be some ways in which our church or your ministry or our ministry is eclipsing the grace of God in our worship and in our work? Are there ways and what are they that we as a church are clouding the grace of God in what we do and what we plan and what we hold dear and how we worship. Let's wrestle with that question and talk to one another about what the answer might be. And then ask ourselves as a community, what could emerge if we remain faithful to the reality of grace? Not, not losing sight of God's undeserved, unmerited favor on people who he adopts as his sons and daughters. What could emerge from this church if we remain faithful to the reality and the message of grace, no matter what we're planning and no matter what we're doing? What would happen if we never let a project or a plan outshine the grace of God? If we never let a policy or a person outshine the grace of God? 
what will happen is this. We'll still have trials and adversity and we're going to get sick and people are going to die and we're going to have grief and conflicts and all those things. But if we remain faithful to the concept of grace as a Christian church, I think we'll remain a faithful lampstand shining as other people come to its light. That's the one thing Jesus said he was going to take away from the church in Ephesus. Until they returned to what they loved first, what they were doing first, which was learning about the depths of Jesus's love and letting his grace emerge in their lives into the community. And that's my prayer, that we will be a living epistle as a church and we'll learn from the letter to the Ephesians what that's going to look like. It looks like this. It looks like a bunch of men and women and children saying to the community, yes, by word, but also by deed and by strategy, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, uh, we're going to prove to be unfaithful at times. This church is going to be unfaithful to the message of grace because we're, we're all sinners and we're going to get distracted. But even when we do that, remember this, and this is from Hebrews chapter 3. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So even when we are faithless and we get distracted as a church, Christ is faithful, and he proved that on the cross. So embrace the grace of God and let it change you, let it change us as our church emerges into the world, because nothing is greater than that. Healthy church, a faithful church, nothing is greater than the grace of God for us to be healthy and to remain faithful. And I think Ephesians as a letter highlights grace in a way that uh, none of Paul's letters do. As great as those letters, Corinthians, Romans, there, there's something about Ephesians that, that showcases grace in a special way, and I can't wait to get into it together. May grace remain our foundation and our motivation in all that we do. Amen? Amen. Okay, let, uh, we're going to take communion now, but let's pray first. Lord Jesus, we confess that we are tempted to... To, to build our religion around our plans and our self-interest. And we confess of that and may we repent of it. And may the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace be our foundation. And may his peace be what sustains us. In his name, amen.